Good morning, everyone. It's really a great honor and a blessing and a privilege to be able to be with you again this morning. I sound a little hot. Okay. <laughs> oh, my, there we go. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, um, Genoa's got a whole stack of them. And then, what's your name, sir? Uh, Colton, sir. Colton. He's also got some. So if you have one, if you don't have one, please raise your hand. And I do encourage everyone always to have a Bible. Um, if you don't want the paper kind, you know, open it up on your electronic device. But I was actually sharing with New Life Academy on Friday. And uh, Jason Rayner, he graciously invited me to come and share with the fourth through sixth graders. And I wrote my things out, and I had a PowerPoint slide, and I mislabeled the address. And so that is a reason why to always have your Bible open, because I make mistakes. And so it also reminded me of what Luke said to the, uh, the, in his book, Acts of the Apostles, um, in chapter... 17 verse 11, he writes to them and he commends the Berean believers. He says to them that they are more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they receive the word with all readiness and they search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And so that's my heart and desire for you all, that you would not take the things that I say for granted, but that you would be searching the scriptures and saying, hey, is what that guy's saying true? Does it check out? Because that's commendable. So um, with that said, uh, as our time is going to go quickly today, uh, I want to invite you to stand with me. And if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, we're going to read that passage this morning. Peter, he says to us, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And be hospitable without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to come together as a body of believers we thank you for the opportunity to worship you in this place and the freedom that you give us to do so. And we thank you for all the churches over the whole island and all throughout all of Japan and the world, Lord, for believers that want to gather and grow in their knowledge and understanding and relationship with you. And Lord, help us to do that today. Lord, we want to know you more and we want to make you known. And again, Lord, um, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit because we realize that we cannot do this on our own. We need you. And so we, pr we pray and we invite you to come into our own hearts and fill us and that you'd fill this place. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please turn with one another as you sit down. Give each other a warm Calvary welcome.
It's been fun um, getting to know some of you. And now as I look out on a second Sunday, seeing more familiar faces. So thank you again for allowing me to be here with you. Um, I really, really like this passage of Scripture. As a teacher, it's one of those passages that is super easy. I mean, it, it outlines itself. And, um, and it's challenging and it's convicting. I love passages that kind of prick the heart. I love passages that force me to want to grow and change. And so um, I hope that you do the same. I hope that a challenging and convicting passage isn't taken as condemnation because condemnation is bad, but conviction is good because conviction is the work that the Holy Spirit does. And um, that's why I titled this morning's passage, Purposeful Conduct. And hopefully that title will be a reminder for us of what Peter really desires from us here. He wants us to be serious about the present, our time now today. And to summarize the portion, um, I want to say it this way. No matter how difficult life may be, there is a job to do. And so we must be faithful. We want to take time to pray. We want to show love to the saints. We want to use our giftings and our talents to serve others. Because the Lord who gave you the ability also will give you the strength to use it for his glory. And so that's, in a nutshell, the passage. But we're going to look at it deeper and expand it. And again, the passage, it outlines itself with at least five very clear imperatives. And I love the imperative. It's the doing, right? It's the action. Um, I, that's the way I, I like to present things. And so these things will be a challenge. And they are things that we absolutely cannot do on our own. We have to have the Holy Spirit, working them in and through our lives as we surrender to him. And then God will work these things out of our lives. We can trust that he will do that because he has promised. Last week, um, before we dive in, we were reminded by Peter that we as believers, we're people who have been born again, right? We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We're no longer living for the world and the things of it, and we're no longer to allow our flesh to control us. We don't want to waste any more of our time here on earth living for the things of the world and the way of it, especially as we understand that one day we will stand before Jesus, that great and mighty judge. And we will give an account. And so as we remember those things, it kind of leads right into the first verse in our passage this morning, verse 7. If you turn your attention back there, it says, but the end of all things is at hand. You know, not only is our personal time here on earth short, and James would remind us by giving us this description of it. He he told us in James chapter 4, verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor which appears for a little time and then it vanishes. 
away. Our life is like that, but the, the era in which we live is like that as well. And Peter says, it is going to come to an end. And it's something that is felt in the world. It's not just something that believers in Christ know, but it's something that the world itself, I believe, understands. You know, I did a quick Google search. Google makes things so easy sometimes. And I went to a, a website called IMDB. It's like a movie website. And under the label apocalyptic, there's 1,171 movies with that uh, theme. And that doesn't even include movies like such popular ones, uh, like the MCU movie Avengers Infinity War, right? There's, I think I got a picture of Thanos, right? A movie about a guy who wants to, with the snap of his finger, end life for half the universe, right? That, those apocalyptic movies on IMDb doesn't even include that one. As Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. And Paul, he uses similar language when he speaks to the Romans and really all throughout his, his writings. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11, he says, and do this, knowing the time." that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, right? Envy, right? There's, a, there's an end, and so... We want to live like we understand it and know it. The season must change. And as we Christians believe that the end of the age will come, we call it, we give it a label, right? Jesus called it in Matthew 24, 21, the great tribulation, this time that is coming in the future. It's a time of when the wrath of God is poured out on a Christ-rejecting earth. The prophet Daniel talks about it. Daniel chapter 9 through 12. The apostle John wrote extensively concerning this end in the final book of our Bibles, right? The Revelation. Jesus, he talked about this as a time of great distress. At least that's the, the term that the NIV used. As he says, there, it will be a time such as not has been, since the beginning of the world, until this time, nor shall ever be, right? That time that will take place right before Jesus comes back, when he will establish his kingdom here on earth. And so knowing these things must take place. Knowing these things are near. Peter, again, he insists that we have a response. He, he tells us these things so that we would do something, so that we would take action. And he says this, in the second part of that first verse, verse 7, he says, be serious and be watchful in our prayers. That is purposeful conduct. And really, that's, for you note-takers, that's the first imperative. That's the first point I want to make. And I'm just going to draw it directly from the text. I'm not going to change it in any way. Just be serious and watchful in your prayers. 
You know, um, when I, I like looking at the meanings of different words, and as I looked at the words serious and watchful, they are the Greek work, words sophroneo and nepho, and they kind of mean the same thing. It was interesting. They're both translated and can be translated as to be of sound mind or in the right frame of mind. They're understood as the existence of self-control or the ability to curb one's passions. And they can be understood as the exercise um, of a collected spirit, temperate, dispassionate, circumspect, circumspect, excuse me, and disciplined. Many of our English Bible translations use some of those words when that word is translated from Greek to English. They present for us this idea that we need to be clear thinking. We need to be thoughtful, controlled, and purposeful, alert in our prayers. We want to come before the throne of God with prayer. It's a great honor. It's, a, it's an honor that we don't want to cast aside. It's something we don't want to esteem lightly, but it's a mercy that God has graciously extended to us to be able to come before his throne of grace. And we can do, some, do, we can do that boldly. We can do it often, and it's something that we should do with focus and discipline. It's something, again, we never want to neglect. And I especially like the word watchful in regard to prayer. It reminds me of Jesus with his sleepy disciples in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, he wakes them up. And in Matthew, I turned to the wrong one there. And in Matthew um, chapter 26, verse 41, Jesus would say to his disciples, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Those words of Christ, they resonate with me because I don't know about you, but one of my biggest struggles in prayer is simply staying awake. And often when I pray, I find myself, oh man, I, I don't know how much time has gone by or I'll wake up with the the natural head bob, right? I don't know if you can identify with that. And that's often why when we pray, I will pray with my eyes wide open because I understand that I would rather fight the distraction of the eye than see myself, find myself simply sleeping when it comes to prayer. So my brothers and my sisters, Let's purpose in our hearts to give ourselves to that controlled, thoughtful, purposeful, and watchful prayer, knowing the time, as Peter said, and understanding that the end of the age is near. Let's continue in verse 8. In verse 8, Peter, he tells us, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. The second point, again, today is very simple. I do make it a little bit more concise than the text. I want to capture it this way simply. Love fervently. Love is the most important thing. This love is the word agape. 
in the Greek. And this love is defined by Paul in a beautiful way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it really highlights the importance and the supremacy of love in the first three verses in that chapter. And I want to summarize it this way. Number one, no matter how we speak, if we don't have love, our words are only noisy and annoying. Number two, no matter how much knowledge we have, understanding we have, faith we may have, if we don't have love, we are nothing. And number three, no matter what sacrifice we are willing to pay, even if it's our very life, if it is without love, then it doesn't do me any good. It profits nothing. That's the importance of love. And what that love looks like, Paul will continue to kind of define what it is and what it isn't. And so if you'd follow along with me in chapter 13, I want to read verses 4 through the first part of verse 8. Paul, he says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then Paul says, love never fails. To me, there's no better description of love than that passage. And the Apostle John, he too, he has so much to say on the topic of God's love. In his gospel, John, he says much in John chapter 15. And then he also speaks of it in John, first, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4. From that passage, and I would encourage you all to read that whole passage. From that passage, though, we're going to read um, I'm going to read with you four verses, verse 7 and 8, and then verse 20 and 21 from 1 John chapter 4. And in there, John, he's going to tell us that God is love. Love is not simply an attribute of God, but God himself is the very definition of love. All that God does is love, all that he says is love, and even his judgment and his wrath is God's love. And so let's read um, verse 7 there in 1 John 4. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is is love. In verse 20, he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this 
commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You see, love is supreme. But what is fervent love? Fervent in the English, it can be defined as an unwavering zeal and a devotion or a passionate intensity, right? It's been described as hot, burning, and radiant. But the Greek word is ektenes, and it's an interesting Greek word. It means to be stretched out, and it's used only two times in Scripture. The first use is in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, which was fun because a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday, Keegan taught through this passage with, uh, with us on a Wednesday night in a small group. We find in that passage that King Herod, he captures James, the brother of John, and he executes him with the sword. And then, because it pleased the Jews, he took Peter also. But he couldn't do anything to Peter because it was the Passover. And in verse 5, we read that Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer. That's the word, ectenis. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Some English translations translate that word there, prayer without ceasing, right? That's the first use. The second use is here in our text. It's fervent. That's the way that ectenis is used in scripture. And it presents to us this idea of a long-lasting, a continual and even elastic intensity. That's the kind of love that we are to have for each other. In my mind, it uh, brings a picture of, in my thoughts. And so I want to illustrate that picture. It's a picture of two objects and they're being held together, right? Closely connected by bungee cords. And as you try to separate those two objects, that cord stretches, it's stretched out, ectenis. But the farther that you try to stretch those two objects from each other, the more tension there is that draws them back together. And I think that's the idea that is being relayed to us. And it goes in line with what Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church of Colossae and he says this, but above all these things... It's very similar to what Peter says. He says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It is that glue that binds us together as believers. That's what love is. Love is the mark of the Christian. And Jesus would tell us that it is by this, all will know that you and I, that we are his disciples if we have love for one another. So why love? Why this fervent love? Peter tells us why, really. He gives it as a definition or a, a meaning. He says, because love will cover a multitude of sins. And I think he's referencing Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12, when it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. 
That is why we need love. Because we all sin in the flesh. Every day we interact with each other in all walks of our lives, right? And as we interact in our relationships, in the everyday happenings of life, we have these frictions that take place. We can rub each other the wrong way and that can create heat and that can even sometimes, sometimes cause sparks to fly in our lives, right? We have accidents, we have disagreements, we have arguments, we have misunderstandings, these evils that sometimes pour from our lives spill on others, our family members, our friends, those that we love. And their evils can spill onto us. And it's love that is required to enable us to extend the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness to each other that God has given to each one of us. God only will expect from us that which he has already freely given to us. And there's so much more that we can say about love. The scripture is so full of God's love. But for our time this morning, we're going to leave it at that. So look at verse 9, if you would, with me at 1 Peter chapter 4. Paul, I mean, excuse me, Peter, he continues and he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And again, the text itself is just so straightforward in the imperative. And so uh, for you note takers, the third point this morning is simply that, be hospitable without grumbling. The Oxford Dictionary tells us that to be hospitable is to be friendly and welcoming to guests. It has also been defined as treating strangers and friends alike. But scripturally, hospitality is so much more than those things. In the Greek, it is this word, philoxenos, and the first part of that Greek word is philo, it's love. It literally means love of strangers. That's what hospitality is. It's a virtue that is both commended and commanded in scripture. And notice how that connects to verse eight. Have fervent love for one another. Love of strangers. Right? In the English, when I read those two verses, I think, what's the connection? I don't see it, right? We don't get it. We miss it in the English, but that is simply not the case. Peter has told us the most important thing is love. And now he, in his own way, is giving us a practical medium through which this all-important love can be displayed in our daily living the love of strangers, something we call hospitality. And that is a practical demonstration of how we love someone we don't even know. I want to read um, Galatia, or, excuse me, Genesis chapter 18. And I encourage you all to open your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 18, and follow along in the first eight verses of that chapter. And then we're going to skip down to verse 16. And this account, pay attention 
to Abraham. He shows us the love of strangers. He shows us hospitality. And uh, look at how he demonstrates it. Chapter 18 of Genesis, verse 1, he says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And he said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. Then after that, you may pass by in as much as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf and gave it to a young man. And he hastened to prepare it. And he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree as they ate then verse 16 says, and then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them and to send them on the way. That is a demonstration of hospitality. And Abraham, he shows us how hospitality is to play out in our lives. Um, a, hospitality is often required of us when it is not convenient for us. Notice what this text said there in verse one. It was in the heat of the day, right? The hot, the sweaty part of the day when you're tired and you just want to sit in the shade. B, the opportunity to be hospitable arises. When it does, we should respond in earnest and with humility. That's what we read in verse two. He ran to meet them and he bowed himself to the ground. See, in the practice of hospitality, we are to honor others above ourselves. Notice how Abraham addressed these strangers. My Lord, is what he said there in verse 3a. Yet he himself is an exceedingly wealthy man, very great and very powerful. D, hospitality is a service initiated by the host. Abraham said, if I have now found favor in your sight, please do not pass on by. E, hospitality is usually a family affair, right? It involves the whole household. To Sarah, he said, to a young man, and then to a and Abraham, right? We read those things in verses six through eight. And lastly, F, hospitality is a service offered freely to others. That's verses four and five. This service is exemplified by certain actions in our text there. It was something refreshing to drink. It was foot washing. It was rest. And it was food given. It was whatever deemed necessary to, and I quote verse five, refresh your hearts. 
And therein lies the goal of hospitality, I believe. Hospitality is meant to refresh the hearts of others whom God brings our way. And notice the words used to describe Abraham, his actions and his words. Verse 6, it said, hurried and quickly. Verse 7, it says, ran and hastened, right? That is, it provides a picture not of sluggish, slow, not of moping, not of uh, procrastination, no, that's not the picture that's presented, right? There's almost a sense of excitement behind Abraham and his actions, which coincides with what Peter tells us without grumbling. That is uh, a hard thing to do sometimes. And, and lastly, I, I want to point out verse 8 and verse 16. Abraham, it says he stood by them. And then he went with them to send them on their way. The posture is one of ready service. And his presence is for engagement with his guests. You know, if you're familiar with the rest of the passage, you know that the outcome of these things is, was a meaningful conversation, a life-changing conversation, prophetic even. And that these three very important Important strangers were the Lord and two of his angels, right? Very similar to what the writers of Hebrew says in chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. He says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. I don't know about you, but again, that topic and... Studying that passage was super convicting to me. Um, hospitality is so hard, and it's not natural in the flesh. It's at least not for me, right? I have a selfish, sinful human nature, and I don't always want to serve others quickly or otherwise, <laughs> I don't always want to sacrifice my time. I don't always want to give of my food and my resources, right? I don't even want to do that to my friends sometimes, let alone a stranger. That's the evilness in my own heart. But that is exactly what God calls us to do. And when we realize simply that everything that we have is from God, it's easier for us to live our lives in a way that's open-handed. It just comes from God, and it goes freely to others. And that's why I, I believe that um, this hospitality verse, it connects very cleanly as well to verses 10 and 11. Paul, he continues in, I mean, Peter, man, I keep calling him Paul, Peter, he continues in verse 10 and 11. He says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
for you note takers this morning, the fourth point is simply use the gift God has given you to serve others. Peter, he said, each one, excuse me, as each one has received a gift there in verse 10. The text doesn't say will receive or may receive. It says each one has received. God has given each one of us a gift. You see, God created you and me individually. He molded us. He formed us. He shaped us. And he has equipped us with something for his kingdom and for his glory. Something that is a blessing, not for ourselves, but a blessing that's meant for others. It's something that will encourage, something that will strengthen, something that will build up. And the scriptures tell us about these gifts. I don't believe it's exhaustive, but there are certain passages that describe some of these gifts that God has given to us. Passages like 1 Corinthians chapters 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. Passages like Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. And if you don't know your gift this morning, I want to encourage you and challenge you with this. Read those passages with a note paper, with a piece of paper and a pencil and take notes. Write down and list the gifts that are, are listed there in those passages and pray through them and ask God to reveal the gift that he has given you so that you would know what it is and that you would be active in using it. Again, those those lists I don't believe are exhaustive, but they can put us on the right track in our thinking. Every believer has been given a gift, at least one. So the question is, do we recognize it? And are we using it? Paul, he would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. 1 Corinthians 12.1. He also says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. And he says, one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. See, a spiritual gift is given by God through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine as he wills. It's not for our profit alone, but it's for the profit of all, and we should not be ignorant of these things. We have received a gift, and as Paul tells us concerning gifts in Romans 12, 6, let us use them. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And ministering that word, it simply means to serve, right? We're just serving each other with the gift and in the capacity that God has given us. See, a minister is a servant. And Peter is asking us to serve, again, with that free gift that God has given to us. And he wants us to do it with the ability which God supplies. We are to love. Our love can be displayed through hospitality. And the opportunities that we are given 
in those opportunities, we are to exercise God's gracious gifts by the enablement which he supplies. We cannot do it on our own. And God doesn't expect us to. He expects us to utilize what he has given in the power and strength which he has endowed us with. And in that way, it's all him, right? And that brings us to our final imperative this morning. Point number five, let all things in word and deed be done for God's glory. Verse 11 in our text, it makes it clear. Our words are to be God's words. If he speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. That's all it means. Speak God's words. Our actions are to be through what God supplies and for the purpose of his glory. James, he tells us in James chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's all about Jesus. All our lives are for Jesus. All our lives, all we have, excuse me, is for him. And all we do is for him. All we have is from him and should be used as he wills. All of it, our time, our talents, our treasures, our words, and our actions. It's all for God and his glory. That is our purposeful conduct for this morning. And again, this portion is convicting. It's an impossibly high calling without the grace of God, but by his spirit, we are able. By his spirit, we can be serious and watchful in our prayers. By his spirit, we can love fervently. By his spirit, we can be hospitable without grumbling. By his spirit, we can use the gift that God has given us in the service of others. And all that we say and all that we do can be for God's glory. Amen? Amen. I want to invite the worship team forward at this time. Um, we're going to take communion together. And I also want to invite the ushers forward um, to pass out the communion elements. And as the worship team comes forward and as the ushers pass out the, the elements this morning, I, I want to encourage you to use this opportunity to really do that inward reflection. Where am I at this morning? If you don't know Jesus, you can. Simply ask him, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Be my Lord and Savior. I want to surrender my life to you. Please forgive me of my sins. He will. What's your prayer life look like? Does it exist? Do you love fervently? Is what you have being used? And is it used for God's glory? These are good things for us to reflect upon as we partake in communion this morning. You guys can go ahead and pass out the elements.